Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Epiphany Lutheran Church of Mount Vernon, Virginia. We're a congregation of the Metro DC Synod of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. And you can find out more about us on our website at epiphanylutheran.org. A reading from the Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said, But I say to you that listen, Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. If you lend from those whom you hope to receive, from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies, do good, and lend expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure that you give will be the measure that you get back. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Be merciful, Jesus said to his disciples, just as your Father is merciful. Our first reading today tells the story of Joseph forgiving and reconciling with his brothers who sold him into slavery in Egypt. And presumably the folks who put together our calendar of scripture readings thought that this story would illustrate the teaching of Jesus in today's gospel about loving and forgiving our enemies. I've learned a lot, however, about the Joseph story from Rabbi Danya Rutenberg. She thinks that the really interesting part of the story is not that Joseph forgives his brothers, but why he forgives his brothers at this particular moment in the story. She doesn't think that Joseph forgives because, you know, he's just a nice, forgiving guy. There's a reason he forgives at this time. And I think her interpretation of the story can help us understand even better how we might practice this difficult teaching of Jesus. 
So the story starts with Abraham. God promised descendants to Abraham and Sarah. Indeed, they had a baby together when they were very old. Now, Abraham had other children by other women, but Isaac was the one that was chosen to carry on the promise. The other children were sent away or ignored. Isaac and his wife Rebekah had twin boys, Esau and Jacob. And like his father, Isaac played favorites among his children. Isaac preferred the older twin Esau. Rebekah made up for it by favoring the younger son, Jacob. Isaac plans to give his one and only blessing to his favorite son Esau, but Rebekah and Jacob conspire to trick Isaac into giving the blessing to Jacob instead. When the ruse is discovered, Isaac and Esau are furious, but what's done is done. Only one son can get the blessing, and Jacob stole it. And Esau is so angry that he wants to kill his brother Jacob. Jacob has to flee for his life. They're apart for more than 20 years. When they finally meet amid great tension, they sort of reconcile for a moment, but then they have to go their separate ways. The parents play favorites. The children learn to compete with one another for a limited supply of love and blessing, and the result in this family is strife, mistrust, broken relationships, violence. Now you'd think that Jacob would have learned something from the way that he was raised, that he might treat his own family differently, but he does not. Jacob had two wives. Rachel and Leah, who were sisters of each other. And Jacob really loved Rachel, but his father-in-law tricked him into marrying Leah too. And Jacob never even pretended to love his wife Leah. And things got really awkward when Leah began to have bearing for Jacob ch child after child, and Rachel had no children. Every time Leah gave birth to another one of Jacob's children, she thought to herself, <coughs> and she said out loud, finally now, surely, my husband will learn to love me. But Jacob always made it clear that he only loved and cared about Rachel. Jacob also had children with two enslaved women, Bilhah and Zilpah. And as common as that may have been in the ancient world, forcing enslaved women to bear your children really is not a good thing to do. And let's just say that Jacob had even less regard for these women than he did for Leah. Between Bilhah, Zilpah, and Leah, Jacob eventually had 10 sons, but he didn't really love or care for any of them, only for Rachel. And finally, Rachel has a child, and that's Joseph. Rachel then gets pregnant a second time, 
but she dies in childbirth, giving birth to the youngest child, Benjamin. And when Rachel died, Jacob was simply devastated. In his grief, Jacob made it clear to everyone that Rachel's eldest son, Jacob, or his, Rachel's eldest son, Joseph, was Jacob's favorite child. You probably know that Jacob gave only to Joseph and not to any of his brothers. A coat of many colors. In Hebrew, a ketonet pasim, literally a striped tunic. You, many of you probably learned about that in Sunday school or maybe in the Andrew Lloyd Webber play. Well, here's something I'll bet you didn't learn in Sunday school. There's only one person in the Hebrew Bible other than Joseph who is said to have worn a ketonet pasim, a striped tunic, a coat of many colors. And that person is Tamar, the daughter of King David. And in 2 Samuel 13, 18, it says, Tamar was wearing <coughs> a ketonet pasim, and I quote, for maiden princesses were customarily dressed in such garments. And it's also said in Genesis that Joseph was very beautiful. And the word in Hebrew for beautiful here is used elsewhere in the Old Testament <coughs> only for women. For Joseph's mother Rachel, for Queen Esther, and others, but always, except for Joseph, it's used for women. And we shouldn't read too much of our modern understandings of gender into biblical times, but clearly the biblical authors thought that there was something unusual about Joseph. In fact, many queer Christians and queer Jews today are fascinated with the figure of Joseph as a biblical character who at the very least seems not to have conformed to gender stereotypes. But there are some things that are pretty consistent across the centuries. And like a lot of, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> like a lot of spoiled androgynous pretty boys in any time and place, Joseph could really be a jerk. One day, Joseph was talking to his ten older brothers, wearing his father's princess outfit. And Joseph was explaining that he had had a dream where he, Joseph, was the master, and his ten brothers were his servants. And these other brothers, who all their lives had seen how poorly Jacob had treated their mothers, and how poorly Jacob had treated them, they really had enough of Joseph one day, and they threw him in a well. And while they were debating what to do with him, one of the brothers, specifically Judah, remember that name, Judah noticed that slave traders were in the area. And Judah said, let's sell him to the slave traders. We'll just tell dad that he died. And that's what they do. And Jacob was crushed. First Rachel now Joseph. The brothers got rid of Joseph, but the sickness in their family was not cured. 
Jacob doted even more on Rachel's remaining son, Benjamin. Meanwhile, Joseph gets taken off to Egypt. Through skill and good luck, he finds himself what today we would call the prime minister of Egypt. His program is to buy up all the excess grain in Egypt. <coughs> Excuse me. And to do this during the good times so that when the inevitable drought comes and the crops fail, the pharaoh's vast grain reserves would be the only source of food. He could sell it for any price he wanted and the pharaoh would get rich. And in due course, the famine came, not just to Egypt, but also to Canaan, where Jacob and his 11 sons and their families were hungry. Jacob sends the 10 older sons to Egypt to buy food, but he says, no, Benjamin can't go. It's a dangerous trip. Something bad might happen to him. I guess he thought the other 10 brothers were expendable. I wouldn't blame if, they, if it came across that way to them. But the 10 brothers go to Egypt, but by now many years have passed. Joseph is wearing Egyptian prime minister clothes. He speaks the Egyptian language. His brothers don't recognize him. Joseph gives them food, but he tells them if they come back, they have to bring their younger brother as well. And the famine drags on. The brothers have to return to Egypt to buy more food. They remind Jacob of what the prime minister said, and so very reluctantly, Jacob allows Benjamin to go with them. And while they're there, Joseph follows in his father's footsteps. Benjamin is treated much better than any of the other brothers in obvious ways that everybody notices. And then Joseph plots a trick to get just Benjamin to stay in Egypt with him. As the brothers are getting ready to leave the second time, Joseph secretly puts Pharaoh's silver cup into Benjamin's suitcase. The brothers leave, Joseph waits, and then sends the police after them. Someone has stolen the king's silver cup. The brothers protest, we did no such thing. Go, search our luggage, you won't find a thing. They open Benjamin's suitcase and, well, there it is. Benjamin is arrested. The other brothers follow him back to Egypt. And Joseph, the prime minister, says, I'm just going to have to keep this thief, Benjamin, here in Egypt with me. But the rest of you can go. That's Joseph's plan. Until Judah speaks up. You remember Judah. It was his idea to sell Joseph to the slave traders and tell dad that Joseph was dead. But Judah is older now. He's wiser. He's sadder. His own family has suffered tragedy. At least two of his own children we know have died. Judah badly mistreated his daughter-in-law, his son's widow. It's a very R-rated story. You can read for yourself in Genesis 38. It ends with him having to admit publicly that she was in the right and he had done her wrong. And perhaps his own losses and his own humiliation have changed him, have given him 
a new sense of perspective. In any event, when Joseph says, Benjamin has to stay here, but the rest of you can go, Judah speaks up. No, he says to the prime minister. No, we can't leave Benjamin here with you. It would destroy our father. If you need to arrest one of us, take me instead. Judah doesn't explain, but he doesn't need to. His brothers all understand what he's thinking. I crushed my father once before by taking away from him the son that he loved more than me because I was jealous. I'm not going to do it again. This is my chance to make amends. And this is the moment when Joseph changes his plans. He is overcome with emotion. He asks all the Egyptians to leave. And when he's alone with his brothers, he finally reveals to them, look, I am your brother, Joseph. They're stunned. They're too shocked to speak. And so Joseph goes on. He says, okay, you did some things. Okay, maybe I did some things. But look, Look what God has done. God has taken all that we've done, all that we and our family have done to each other for generations, and now God's given us an opportunity. It's been two long, hard years. There are more hard years ahead. So go home, get dad, get your families, and let's all come here where there's enough to get us through the hard times, and we'll do it together as a family, all of us. And so they do. And when Jacob dies, there is no competition among his 12 sons for the one and only final fatherly blessing, the way that there was between Jacob and his brother Esau. The book of Genesis ends with Jacob giving a separate and individual blessing for each of his 12 children. And their 12 families become the 12 tribes of Israel. So at long last, the family trauma has been healed. And as Rabbi Danya has taught me, the turning point of the story is not Joseph's decision to forgive. The key moment is Judah's decision to repent, to choose a different path, to say, yes, I've been hurt. I've been belittled and disrespected, and I've hurt others in return. But enough of that now. I'm not going to do it again. I'm not going to repeat what was done to me. It all stops with me. I don't care what it costs me. This madness stops with me. And can it be a coincidence that 30-some generations later, when God enters the human story to say once and for all, it all stops with me, all the violence, all the killing, all the competition over supposedly scarce resources, all the disrespect, all the exclusion, all the hatred, all the fear, all the lashing out in despair and anger, all the sacrifice of human beings in the name of power and in the name of God, all of it, I don't care what it costs me. 
It's going to end with me. When God takes human flesh in Jesus of Nazareth to do those things, God does it in the body of a direct descendant of Judah. And for those of us who desire to be followers of Jesus of the tribe of Judah, we also are invited in today's Gospel reading to participate in what Jesus does by our own taking responsibility in whatever circumstances we are presented with to say, enough, it stops with me. Love your enemies doesn't mean a doormat, be, be a doormat. Turn the other cheek does not mean let yourself be a punching bag. Pray for your abusers is not a way of justifying or perpetuating abuse. It's a way of identifying with the God who is revealed in Jesus, the God who was revealed in Jesus' distant ancestor, Judah. The God who has already said, I don't care what it costs me, but the madness is going to stop, and it's going to stop with me. The God who, like Judah, gives us this gift, so that we, like Joseph, will be set free to take the opportunity to change our own ways and to do the same in our own lives, in our own families, in our own communities. Thanks for listening to our sermon podcast. You're welcome to join us for Sunday worship online or if you're in Northern Virginia in person on Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. Eastern Time. For more information about us, please visit our website at epiphanylutheran.org.